Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. Tonight is titled, Give Me Your Heart. Next week is actually titled the same thing, Give Me Your Heart, but it's a reversal on who is asking. Tonight, we're talking about Jesus speaking to us saying, Give me your heart. And then we'll flip it next week. What does it look like whenever we call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, give us your heart? I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be great. This seems off subject, but we're going to come back around to it. The Bible often talks about idols. It's usually referring to images that have been made of wood or stone that people would worship. They'd pray to it. They'd sacrifice to it. They'd keep it in their house or they'd have it in a temple. And when it comes down to it, it's a hunk of rock or a chunk of wood. But we have a very real enemy, and he's kind of clever. And so what he's done is he's elevated idols from being chunks of wood or stone that people used to worship, and he brought it internal because, honestly, that's where all of this stuff starts anyway, right? And so now we have idols that the enemy is constantly pushing us towards and idols that our flesh is sort of making us hunger for, and they're things like greed or lust or self-righteousness. These can be idols in our lives. Maybe idols look really really superfluous, just like, man, they don't look so bad. Maybe, maybe in your life, an idol could be a sport. Maybe it's a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe what are, what are those things that you are putting as priority over God? What are those things that you give more devotion to than the God of your life? And so if we're going to define idol, it might be something like this. And this is, you know, uh, Dom shooting from the hip translation. It's something that we worship and give devotion to other than the true God. It's pretty straightforward. And we could run our lives through this filter and say, what is in our lives that we are giving a greater devotion to, that we are putting as a higher priority than our relationship with Jesus Christ? Something that we worship and give devotion to other than the true God. And I'll tell you, we will worship something. The human creature is wired to worship something. If you talk to an atheist and they say, I'm an atheist, I don't worship anything, then you can respond to them, well, then all that's left is you to worship yourself. Because when it comes down to it, isn't that what sin is? Just a pursuit of me. What I want. All right, now you can kind of put that in your back pocket for a few minutes. We'll come back around to it. There's a story about Abraham that's difficult to understand. And it's sort of like the iconic story of Abraham. The story where God calls to him and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, and I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah three days from now. Abraham was an old man. I mean old, like like. 90 years old or 100 years old or something. I think he was 100 when he had Isaac finally. I mean, I mean, he, old. I mean, Geritol is not doing much for him anymore. Like, old. And yet, in his old age, he has a son. But he's not just like, yay, I have a son now. God had spoken to Abraham many years before and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I know you don't have any kids yet. And Abraham's like, ah, can't have kids, too old. I'm going to bless you and you're going to have a son. And through that son, I'm not only going to bring 
a nation's worth of offspring through you, but that son through him, I'm going to bless the entire world. There's going to be a blessing on his life that will be carried down generation after generation after generation and just wait to see what I do with that. Furthermore, because of this blessing on your life, I'm going to bring your family to a land flowing of milk and honey. It's going to be awesome, Abraham. Hang in there and see what I can do. And so Abraham's been holding on and holding on. He even tried like this little side, you know, version of having a son that God was like, eh, not really digging this. And then he has Isaac. And he named Isaac Laughter. Because whenever God pitched the idea to him and Sarah, they thought it was hilarious. Like, what? You're going to take a couple old people, can't get pregnant, and you're going to give us a son. And Abraham loved Isaac. I mean, his, his son rose and set on this kid. He was absolute apple of his eye. And then God would come to him, Genesis 22, verse 2, and he says, take your son, Isaac, that one, the one that at night that you weep over because you just can't love him any harder. That, that kid in your life that you just want to take him and do everything with. You want him to be your, your shadow sidekick and you just want to pour everything good that you can into him. You don't ever want anything bad to happen to him because you just love him so much. Take that son. And I want you to take him up to a place that I'm going to show you and I want you to murder him for me. Now, child sacrifices was not a foreign concept. A lot of the nations around would worship a God called Molech and they would offer child sacrifices and it was sick and God hated it. And the fact that God would ask Abraham to do this was so outside of his paradigm that God would require a human sacrifice. Can you imagine the battle that that old man had in the middle of the night? after hearing the voice of God. Can you imagine the tears that he wept? Can you imagine the, the clenched fists and the anger out under the stars? And yet by dawn's light, he had come to the conclusion of something that was profound. And he would go and wake up his son and say, we're going camping. Y'all know the story. They walked for three days to Mount Moriah. And as they got to the mountain and they're heading up, Abraham leaves a servant behind. And Isaac asks like the most painful question. Hey, dad, we have the wood. We have the knife. We have the fire. What are we going to sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And Abraham says something so profound. The Lord will provide. The book of Hebrews says that Abraham had come to the conclusion that God was going to raise him from the dead. Okay, if he's the son of promise, he's the only the only thing left is that God's going to raise him from the dead. Abraham had no concept; no one had ever been raised from the dead before. So Abraham was like really reaching, like his faith was really there. God's going to provide. He had no idea that Abraham was talking in multiple levels out of his own mouth. He would be talking about what God was going to do for us. That it, there was going to be a son that had no spot or blemish. That was going to be sacrificed for us. And in the moment that Abraham lays his kid down, and as the knife is coming down, when there was no turning back, that's when God stopped him. And an angel's like, Abraham, stop. Good job. Hey, check it out over there. There's a ram caught in the bush. And God provided nonetheless. Now put that in your other back pocket. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 25 
This is a verse that I love. You've probably heard me quote it and pray it. God's people have just gone through some pretty, or they're about to go through some pretty hardcore punishment. But God always leaves them with hope. And here's his hope that he leaves them. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. That's nice. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Something rocky and solid and rebellious replaced with something soft and malleable. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I'll give your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That's said over and over and over again. You will be my people and I will be your God. It's the equivalent to Song of Solomon where the lover says, I, will, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I will be your father and you will be my son. It is this, this circular love. We belong to each other. I'm going to take out that heart of stone and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. I'm going to live in you through my Holy Spirit. You're going to be my people and I'm going to be dad. Jesus is asking, are you willing to give me your heart? That heart that's rebellious, that heart that's full of selfish desire, those things, are you willing to sacrifice that? Are you willing to surrender it to me? Are you willing to surrender your desires, your comforts, your plans? Are you willing to abdicate your life? Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. You have this beautiful image of the dragon and it's raised up to to destroy God's people. And it says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Amen. For the accuser of our brothers, that Satan has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God? And they have conquered him. How? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even to death. When it came down to it, there was nothing in life that was worth it. That was worth elevating over God. When it came down to it, their love, their dad, their relationship with the God of the universe trumps anything else they could ever live for, any other idol in their lives. This reminds me of John chapter 12, verse 25, when Jesus says, uh, whoever loves his life is going to lose it, but whoever hates his life, they'll keep it. They'll find eternal life. That's such a reversal. Hates his life. Is that, now, now, that's not like, gosh, she doesn't like me. I hate my life. <laughs> like that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that there is nothing in your world that is so worth clinging to. There is nothing in the way of what God wants to do. So often, don't we cling to stuff? Aren't there things that... If the house is burning down, we'd be like, sorry, brother, sorry, sister, I've got to grab this first. Like we cling to stuff sometimes. We cling to people. We'll we'll elevate things over the most important thing that there is. We'll start saying, you know, God, I love you, but honestly, this, this is really important. Y'all remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are, blessed are. Remember, I think it's like the first one. 
Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? What do they get? They inherit the kingdom of heaven. I wonder what poor in spirit means. I read a book by A.W. Tozer, and it presented this new idea that I never heard before. Poor in spirit, as in spiritually impoverished. Think about this. Think about your heart being a temple to God and imagining that it is empty. That we come before God as beggars, owing, owning nothing. There is nothing, Lord, that I own. Before you, you're it. You're 100%. All this other stuff doesn't have control over me. And you know what? If all this stuff was stripped away, I've still got you. That's the kind of stuff Paul was talking about. I've learned to be content in all things. To have everything I need, to not have anything that I need. Because I count everything as loss for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is crazy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are empty of everything else. The kingdom belongs to them. Tozer was a smart guy. If we're temples of the Holy Spirit, may we be a place of worship without any room for idols. Let us be empty of idols in us because how can God dwell in a place that is designed for worship for ourselves? I'll say that again. How can the Holy Spirit come and live in a temple that we've designed to be a worship for self? We haven't created room for the Lord. C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book It's one giant parable called the great divorce. And in it, he makes the argument that we don't stand before God and God's like, I don't like you, get into hell. That we opt for it. We choose it. We choose our rebellion and the things of life that we want more than him. And so it starts off with this crazy like LSD trip thing where it's like people are on a school bus and they fly to this land and it's supposed to be like the foothills of heaven. And supposedly it's right here that they're either in the foothills of heaven or the, in the foothills of hell. And as they get off the bus, the first thing they realize is that all of a sudden they're like transparent. They're like wisps of vapor, like ghosts, because the land that they're in is more real than they are. And so as they step out onto the grass, the grass goes up through their feet and it hurts because they don't have much substance compared to the world they're in. And people come, loved ones will come, and they try to encourage them to let go of the things that they're holding on to from the old life. And it's just this big analogy. No, it's not like, it's not meant to be like truth, but it's meant to have truth woven in it. And it's so beautiful because someone will have lust that they can't hold on to, and it's portrayed like a lizard on this guy's shoulder. And, he, and this angel comes to him and says, if you'll let go of that, I'll take you on the journey to the place where the sun never sets. And he, and he allows the angel to kill this thing and move on. And there was another character, and I forget exactly what it was, but I remember that she couldn't let go. She was holding something on a leash, on a chain, and she didn't want to let it go. And she ended up choosing to stay behind and get back on the bus and go back. And as people would begin to surrender more and more of themselves, as they would divorce those things that they hung on to, that they would become greater and greater substance until eventually the grass would bend underneath their feet and they would walk towards the hills to the land on the other side, which represented heaven. It was so powerful. And as it comes to conclusion, C.S. Lewis says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, your will be done. 
and those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. There will be those who bow the knee before Christ and say, you are my Lord, your will be done. And there will be those who refuse and he has no response, but okay, your will be done then. I stand here with life abundant. I stand here with heaven and inheritance to call you son. You get to have your way. Inside of Abraham was the potential for an idol. A little G God that was threatening position in his heart. Isaac was his beloved son. And yet even his son was supposed to be small in comparison to his love for the Lord. And so when I say that he came to a profound conclusion, it was infinitely profound that he would say, God, I choose obedience to you over the thing that I love the most in my life. When we come to a place that our heart possesses nothing, when we're poor in spirit, we're no longer slaves to the tyranny of things. It's no longer, I'm sorry, God, I really want to serve you, but this thing in my life is, uh, this is too important. Maybe it's this sport, maybe it's this job, maybe it's this friend, maybe it's this addiction. I love you, God, but... What a tyranny of things, what control that idol has. And Jesus is saying, will you give me your heart? Because if you'll be willing to let go of everything that you see as matter, that matters, then I'll be willing to give you everything that matters. God's work was effective. Abraham became a man that was wholly surrendered to God. And God can now pour out his blessings to him. Isaac would have two sons. One son would have 12. Those 12 would spring a nation. A nation that was so big that it threatened Egypt. A nation that would be so big, even after being wiped out, that they would threaten Babylon. So, Dom, are you telling me that God wants me to just give up everything that I love and everyone that I love? I think this begins as a spiritual call from the Lord to surrender those things in life that have a bondage over us, that have priority over us, that we give devotion to over the Lord. But I'm telling you many, many times, God will ask you. He'll say to you, son, daughter, this thing has a hold in your life and the only way we're gonna break it off is if you walk away from it. And you know what? That doesn't have to be something big and obvious. Maybe that's just giving up secular music for a while until you feel a release from the Lord to listen to it again. Maybe that's giving up that dead-end boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe he's just asking you to give away those things so that he can put things in your life that bring more glory to him. Maybe he's asking you to surrender a dream that you had. But I want this thing. That's what he did in my life. Maybe he's asking you to surrender a bitterness against somebody that you've been so angry with, you've hated for so long. You see, our heart becomes decluttered and we find that those things of value that we thought were so important, they just become shallow and empty in the greatness of God and what he offers us because we are the possessors of the greatest treasure. <laughs> Think about that kid with his five loaves and two fish. He had to give up his snack and what was given back was a feast. And it blessed the people around him too. 
like Abraham, having an empty heart for God, being poor in spirit, being idle free in our hearts, opens the door for God to bless us. And you know what? If we didn't receive a single thing, he would still be more than enough. Our salvation, our eternity with him, the hope that we have is more than enough. But he's a, he's a dad who loves to bless his kids too. I got permission to tell this story. I have a new friend in my life and his testimony blew me away. Sitting in Raising Cane's the other day. His girlfriend learned that, I'm going to botch this up. His girlfriend learned that she had endometriosis. And for those of you that don't know much about it, especially guys, because I, I honestly don't know much, but it threatens her being able to get pregnant. And the doctors told her that at least during this window of her life, um, everything was aligned, fallopian tubes and ovaries and everything, that she could during maybe a window of time maybe get pregnant. And so not just for the benefit of like the fun of sex or something like that, but they were like, okay, we want to be able to have kids together. So they started living the lifestyle of just having sex regularly. And then the army called and he was going to have to go away for five months. And so this was it. Who knows if she would in the future be able to get pregnant. And then they attended a marriage conference. And at that marriage conference, they prayed with a couple of marriage counselors uh, that you probably know by name. And God convicted them. And they had a decision to make. Do we want to honor the Lord first or do we want what we want first? And they made a decision at that marriage conference that they were going to abstain from sex, get engaged get, and get married and do things God's way. So he went away. He was away for five months. They've gotten married. You know, <laughs> 1 Samuel 2.30 says that if you'll honor me, I'll honor you. She's 15 weeks pregnant and they're finding out the gender of the baby today because they chose to honor God first over their desires. It was a big risk. It wasn't just giving up having fun. They were risking being parents, but they chose the Lord over what they wanted because he was more important. And you know what? What if he said no? Would it still be worth it? I'm telling you, Serving him and saying yes to the God of our hearts is worth it every time. C.S. Lewis, the one who wrote The Great Divorce, he says this, when God calls a man, no, this is Bonhoeffer, I'm sorry, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a part of a plot to kill Hitler, cool guy, philosopher. He wrote, when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die, to give up what we want, what does Jesus say? You want to follow me? Lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow me. For God's glory, he created everything we know. For his glory, he sent Jesus to redeem it. For his glory, he extends an invitation saying to us, I'm knocking. Will you give me your heart? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If we are willing to say yes, we will be made a new creation. The old is gone. As far as the east is from the west. And you know what? Just like we read in Ezekiel, he puts a new spirit in us. We become a new creation. Jeremiah 31 says that he's going to take our hearts and he's going to make a new covenant with us. It's a covenant by heart, not by blood, not by stone. It's a covenant in our hearts and he writes on our hearts that we will be his people and he will be our God.
In short, he's saying, I will hold, this is what he's saying to you. I will hold your heart. I will hold your affection and I'll hold your dedication and love. And you know what? You get to hold mine, my dedication, my affection, my love. It's a great exchange. Now there's a lot of people in here that at some point in your lives, you gave your heart to Jesus. And I know there's some people in here that gave your heart to Jesus that probably haven't been living like you have. You know what? That's okay. Because you paid attention tonight. And you know what? Just like a marriage covenant, just because I blow it with Jackie, I offend her, I hurt her, I sin against her, it doesn't dissolve our marriage. But I want to get my relationship right with her. I want to apologize so that we can be good, that we can continue to have peace and intimacy in our home. And so if that's you, if you're like, you know what? I, I gave my life to the Lord, but I really had an idol in my heart. I really had an idol in this temple that's held my devotion. Now I want to challenge you. And you know what? If you're in here and you're like, this is all new, or I've heard this before, but it hasn't quite taken note. Something's pricking in me. What is this? How do I do this? How do I surrender my heart to the Lord? How do I say yes to his asking from my heart? I want to give everyone the opportunity. We're going to do some some prayer altar time. And this is actually going to be very wide range. If you have any prayer requests of any kind, it could be sickness in the family. It could be praying for somebody else. It could be praying for the salvation of a loved one. It could be praying for testing or school, anything. If you have any prayer requests at all, feel free to come up. If you feel that prick that you want to come and just say, Lord, help me get these idols out of my heart. I want to give my heart fully to you. Please come. If this is your first time and you're like, I want it. Yes, I want it. I'm in. And come on up and pray with one of our leaders. Tell, tell a leader, like, I want to give my life to Jesus tonight. I want to give my heart to him. And if you're like, I'm, I'm on it. I'm working as hard as I can. I'm giving my life to the Lord. And you want to come up and pray? Awesome for that too. Can I have my group leaders come down? We just want to open up this time just to pray with you in any capacity of any sort of prayer requests. If tonight did prick you a little bit, if you're like, yes, I do want to, tell them. They're amazing people. These are people that are going to keep in confidence the things that you tell them. And they genuinely love you. Heavenly Father, we surrender this next few minutes. I pray, Lord, for boldness for anyone who wants to come and pray. Holy Spirit, come and move. Move in our hearts. Thank you for this team. I pray that you give them the words to encourage, to love, to challenge. I pray, Lord, that you're going to be present in this place. Holy Spirit, come and lay thick in this room. Lord, I pray that you will come against all distraction, that people will stay off their phones for a few minutes, that they'll, they'll avoid talking to people for a few minutes, that they'll just give you their attention and they'll respect each other. Holy Spirit, have your way here in Jesus' name. Amen.